0: Welcome to Approaching Zion, Episode 3. We are going to be discussing light and truth and the Spirit. I'm already excited. It is exciting.
1: We're going to be talking about the light of Christ and really defining that, scoping that out, and then comparing that, juxtaposing it against the Holy Ghost. I know, good word. And and really teaching, or, or at least trying to clarify What is the difference between the light of christ and the holy ghost how many times would you or could you ask an elder or sister that's out on a mission serving like what is the difference between the holy spirit or the light of christ and the holy ghost Mm. and and many times they would say i'm not really sure now both are good things to be sure but they could not really define
0: it's a little there's a little bit of crossover yeah
1: and they, they are used interchangeably. We'll certainly talk about that and show examples of that. But uh, I think this is a foundational concept that is good to clarify and and assist to uh, individuals as they're reading, as they're studying, and as they're feasting upon the words of Christ because it will change your meaning and understanding of Scripture when you have a better understanding of the light of Christ and the Holy Ghost.
0: Well, having a better doctrinal understanding is important because it enables you to use those tools at a better capacity in your day-to-day life. I think that's where the power of, of scripture study and, and pondering, receiving this personal revelation as it relates to, uh, to doctrine, right? It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's about being able to apply those concepts in your life in a way that changes your heart and light and truth the spirit this is really a continuation of the last episode we talked about the doctrine of christ which of course leads us to the gift of the holy ghost we talked a lot about personal revelation so this is a continuation of that and hopefully we can break down some concepts that uh, that makes personal revelation something that's a little more attainable right in our day-to-day life and our, our our daily uh, uh, prayers and our communion with, with heavenly father.
1: And ultimately if, if God is truth, the more exact, the more direct and the more correct we can be in our understanding of these terms and these doctrinal foundations, the closer, the better understanding, the greater light we can receive from him and the more directly we can commune with him. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here is some of these concepts can get muddled at times and we gloss over them, then we just move on. And what we're trying to do is just slow down a little bit, make sure we're clear on what we're talking about and allow folks to really use this as a tool to come closer to the Father and and to the Spirit, so.
0: Okay, well, let's start by discussing light and truth. To get started, I'll pull up a scripture here in John chapter, let's see, John 1, 5, it's actually 1 John, I think I opened up the wrong scripture here to get started, that's a good start, let me hop over, not John, 1 John, there we go got that worked out. Let me pull it up here. Okay. So our first scripture, first John chapter one, verse five says very clearly, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. John is telling us that God is light in him is no darkness at all. What's that? What does that start saying to you?
1: Everything around us, all of the truth we receive, all of the light that we seek or that we um, have had in our life, all of this comes from, originates from, and begins with the Father. He is the originator and the author of everything that is going on around us. And that's essentially what John is saying here is everything good that has been put in motion over the eternities has all originated with and started with the father.
0: Well, and it gives us a clear image of who God is, right? That he there is no darkness in him at all. Right? That gives us a that gives us an example of perfection. That gives us a that gives us hope that there is always that that perfection, that light that we can direct ourselves toward. And it shows us that
1: if we know people we associate with with folks or that we have people who are close to us that we're concerned about, that we worry about, if they have any good in them at all, if they have any light in them at all, they have that godly nature within them. There is something to work with, somewhere to start, We'll talk about that a little more in depth as it relates to the light of Christ as well. But essentially, truth, all truth comes from the Father. And if somebody has even a little bit of truth within them, there is a place, a spark to begin working with and working on to grow that light and that truth within them. No one has fallen too far.
0: Next scripture we'll pull up here is Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 6. This is speaking of Jesus Christ, his Son. He that ascended up on high, as also he descended below all things, in that he comprehended all things, that he might be in all and through all things, the light of truth. So, we said God is light, and here we're saying Jesus Christ, his Son, is the light of truth. So we already have an association of light with truth.
1: That what we're seeing here is that the light is the mechanism by which truth is delivered, right? That's, that's the conduit. That's what allows truth, intelligence, intelligence, which is light and truth combined, That is brought to us, it is received, truth is received by light. In this case, the light of Christ is what's conveying all truth to us so that we can be more like him.
0: What this is saying to me, Jesus Christ is the light of truth. So we know that Christ was born into this world, and he grew grace for grace, and he came to a fullness of truth. He was our perfect example of what man can be. He was God with us, God on earth. He was, he He was he attained to, and he represented those perfections, the fullness of truth to all mankind. So, by way of example, he is the light of that fullness of truth, or he is the example of... And he is the perfect example and the perfect source of truth. So we can set our aim to him and follow him, follow in his footsteps and his path, follow his teachings, live according to his doctrine, and we know that it is perfect. It is a perfect path. It will lead us individually to perfection.
1: And that lends to the the description of him as the mediator. A lot of times we interpret that as the one who stands between us and the father as, as our advocate and as the one that's going to the father, trying to justify or, or explain why we deserve the blessings that, that the father seeks to give. Right. But another application as the mediator, I mean, the 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 middleman. all of that light and truth is received through him because God cannot dwell in unholy places. All of that light and truth must come through the Savior. And he obtained the right to do so through his perfection, through his ability to live the sinless life, right?
0: Well, and his atonement put him in a position to continue assisting us in our journey of accumulating light and truth because we are all in sin. We are all sinful, and therefore are not worthy of receiving higher truths and and higher light that can only be received um, by being sanctified, by being pure. So, on our own, we could never obtain that fullness of truth because we've already fallen short. Mm. we 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 were we were we were beneath the mark to begin with. And even so <laughs> we've fallen short. Right. So the atonement of Christ is necessary and essential in our personal journeys of progressing towards that perfection, that fullness of truth, because we simply can't do it on our own. We need we need the we need the higher being. We need we need God with his fullness of truth to shine his light on us for us to receive that light to act on it, to gain that experience and, and grow individually and personally on our path of eternal progression. And that's essentially what everything in the
1: gospel boils down to. We as imperfect sinners seek greater truth from the father, but do not qualify to receive such. And that's ultimately where grace and mercy is applied through the savior is that we don't qualify to receive that truth, but through the grace of Christ, through sanctification by the spirit, we can still receive that truth that the father has to give, right? And that is, that is ultimately what everything boils down to. We want to receive more that the father has. We want to learn at his feet, but we don't qualify to do so. And that's what the atonement does is that through established mechanisms, we are granted access to learn at the feet of the father through the savior and through his atonement and the grace it provides.
0: I've got a really cool quote here. So this is from Orson Pratt. This is from his periodical, The Seer. So probably probably not considered official doctrine of the church, but he did write it Um in his capacity and calling of apostle. He was a member of the First Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, one of Joseph Smith's apostles. So he was a contemporary with Joseph Smith and an insanely intelligent dude. <laughs> I mean, if you, he was a mathematician and a physicist and just... Well, I was reading up on Orson Pratt, and um, when they got to Salt Lake, they were wanting to like locate the center point in the valley to mark out the the lot for the temple. And apparently he did the mathematics and calculated the longitude and latitude of, of it was either the center of the plot or one of the cornerstones of the plot. He was he calculated it mathematically to like, he was accurate within like three feet. This is in the eighteen hundred. Pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> right, this, is a, this is a smart dude. All right, very impressive guy. But uh, so I was reading, uh, reading from the seer, and here's here's a quote: God is light, God is truth, right? These are these are things we hear, we say, right? We, in the scriptures. His commentary is: persons are only tabernacles or temples, and truth is the God that dwells in them. When we worship the Father, we do not merely worship His person but we worship the truth which dwells in his person. God is truth, and truth is God, and the material universe is his tabernacle. Men are designed to be his tabernacles or temples, if they will receive him. Isn't an amazing interpretation that God is truth in its purest, conceptual form. God is truth. What he's teaching here is that there is an there is eternal truth that just simply is. It always has been and always will be. It's there's you can say that from a moral sense, there's there's eternal moral truth. Um I would I would think that goes beyond that. There's there's truths in all in all fields. There's truth that simply is true because it's true. And God the Father is an exalted being who has the fullness of that truth in him. And in the purest sense, we worship the fullness of truth. We worship truths. Our desire and our aim in the gospel is to acquire truths. Wherever, it, wherever the source may be, President Nelson recently talked about this in his talk, What is True, a few years ago. He said, we accept truth regardless of the source. It could be in a, in a scientific laboratory or it could be from the scriptures or elsewhere. If it's true, it's true, and we accept it. That's it, that's our faith, that's our religion. We We follow truth. And it's interesting, he says... That we, when we worship the Father, we don't merely worship His person; we worship the truth that dwells in His person. Meaning, His physical body is not an idol that we worship. We worship Him because of who He is and those glorious and perfected attributes that He has. If He, if if God were to to sin. And cease to be cease to be perfect in that truth well, he would no longer be a source of worship he would be he would be some one other fallen being and who would that be to worship we worship god because of who he is he is the he is perfection he is the fullness of truth and I think those concepts are very they're very interesting to think about, but I think they're very enlightening and they're very beautiful when you really, when you really ponder them.
1: And that may be something that, with our faith, differentiates us from perhaps other Christian faiths, where perhaps they would they would say or teach that God created or or um, is the the starting point of that truth and we don't quite view it that way we we view truth as eternal that has no beginning no end as as we view God however it it exists regardless it is there and he is the physical embodiment of that truth and why we worship him is because of that integrity he has to truth he lives it perfectly he understands it perfectly and he administers it perfectly and so we worship him because we have complete fidelity and trust that he will do so and not break that uh essentially that covenant he has made to live truth in all that he does all that he says everything that he is is truth and he must adhere to it otherwise as you said he would cease to be who he is. He would cease to be God. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that may be if something. God is the fullness of truth. Yep. And that, that is a very hard concept to, uh, to, to think about because it's never going to happen. We know that it won't happen. However, that doesn't mean that it, it could not happen. We just know that he has learned how to and obtained the ability to live truth perfectly. And and so we have perfect faith and integrity that he'll continue to do so. And so he's worth worshiping.
0: And it also teaches us the immense value of the example of Jesus Christ, because he showed us that man can attain that perfection. Now, Jesus Christ attained it on his own and through his own, his own being. He was capable of doing that, and he was the only one born on this earth that could. But what he showed us is that we all have that capacity. At
1: some point in time in our journey, we will have the ability and the capacity, if we're progressing, well, if we're moving forward in the right way, to obtain that perfection through Christ, obviously. Yes. He was able to do it. In one shot, right? First try, he was able to do it, right? We might require more than that. <laughs> However, he, the, the point is the example has been set. What, it is possible.
0: And the, what's important is that we have the capacity.
1: Yes. It is within us.
0: We have fallen short. Yep. But the capacity is inherent in the fact that we are children of God. So we can't do it on our own, but through the atonement of Christ and through his grace... That capacity is is still something that we can achieve through him in a future state.
1: Well, there spiritually, we are made of the spiritual substance to be perfect as the Father is. That's already within us. It's already there. It's just been covered up and, you know, perhaps manipulated or or abused and, and defiled so to speak, with our physical body and the temptations we give into. However, the, it, it doesn't change that that perfection capability is still there. And what the atonement does, what Christ did, was now allow us to, through our faithfulness, access and be able to unlock that, that potential perfection in its entirety. And it's not going to happen all at once. There is a process and a predetermined or or predefined way to go about doing that. But the point is, it is within us to become such. We've got to be willing to take the steps necessary to obtain that.
0: The next verse, we didn't plan on sharing this one. I was just reading it here in Doctrine and Covenants 88. Which truth shineth, this is the light of Christ, he also is in the sun and the light of the sun and the power thereof by which it was made. And he is also in the moon and the light of the stars. So this is clearly referencing kingdoms of glory. Yeah,
1: glory. Which even more so than the physical entities themselves. Well,
0: it's I think it's referencing the laws by which they're governed. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the light of truth, Christ being that perfect example of truth, that light of truth. It's showing that it's also teaching us here that it is through Christ that the laws are administered, and that we are the laws in which we are governed and will be governed in the different kingdoms and degrees of glory. It's all through Christ and through and, and through following His gospel, His doctrine, through the ordinances that we attain these greater degrees of light that he is emitting or he is offering to us. The next scripture we wanted to talk about, kind of wrapping up this initial conversation about light and truth, is in Doctrine and Covenants 93, verse 36. The glory of God is intelligence. Or, in other words... Light and truth. I'll point out that the verse before this is hinting on a little bit what Orson Pratt was teaching here. The elements are the tabernacle of God. Yea, man is the tabernacle of God, even temples. And whatsoever temple is defiled, God shall destroy that temple. The glory of God is intelligence. Or in other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake that evil one. What are your thoughts on intelligence?
1: Essentially what this is teaching us or what it is attempting to convey to us is the evil within you or the darkness within you can be dispelled. Everything's already been put in motion to allow us to remove those places of darkness within us. And and that's what that, um, what verse was it? Um, light and truth forsake the evil one, right? Verse 37, that's what it's teaching us. You want to be better. You want to be more than you are today. You have to do what is necessary to dispel the darkness that's within you. Now, some people have more of that darkness than other. Maybe there's some low-hanging fruit, you know, and a lot of times when we begin kind of our repentance um, journey, you know, and, and really begin to truly exercise the atonement in us. We, we feel really good because there's a lot of that low hanging fruit, that easy to target darkness within us. I know I shouldn't be watching this. I know I shouldn't be saying this. I know I shouldn't be doing this and we can have some really quick, easy wins. It gets more difficult when that darkness, which is buried deeper within us, which is more interwoven into the recesses of our soul, allowing that light and that truth to penetrate deep enough to clear out and expel all of the darkness within us. And that's really what gets it more difficult. And that's where a lot of times people in the gospel kind of plateau because they have those quick wins and, and they they begin to go through this process of, feeling like they're they're being sanctified, which they are as they repent, and they're getting better and they're getting stronger and they're getting more devout and, and their conversion to the gospel is increasing. But then it's like they stop and because it becomes uh, more difficult or really requires more energy to continue to expel those deeper recesses of, of darkness within us, then they just start to kind of plateau. But it's that constant vigilance, that kind of watchman on the tower mentality of just because I've expelled these larger things or the, or these more obvious things, there is clearly more within me that requires work, that requires change and conversion to Christ. And that's where we must continue to endure is seeking out and finding those places of darkness within us and doing whatever it takes to expel them and get rid of them and purge our soul.
0: The glory of God is intelligence. What's interesting, the word intelligence, it definitely implies agency, the ability to, to, to reason, to think, to be self-aware, to choose. The glory of God is intelligence. Now, we know that The core substance that creates our spirits is intelligence. And intelligence is eternal. Meaning, the very root of our existence, of our being, our intelligence, our ability to act, it's eternal.
1: We are here because we obtained a certain level or degree of intelligence previously. That that intelligence it, it never goes away. You can't destroy it. It doesn't go anywhere. But we obtained enough to qualify to be able to come and, and to have this mortal existence.
0: And it can only be improved upon. Our intelligence can only be improved upon by obedience to laws. The plan of salvation, the eternal plan, is set up to give us access to higher laws that we can experiment with them and find out through experience that they are good and that we should follow them by choice and not by coercion so we know that as we live the law of obedience as we make live the law of sacrifice and then as we live the higher law of the gospel and then we proceed to even higher laws, as we gain the capacity to live those laws, as we understand them as spiritual confirmations of their value, we begin to make them part of who we are. We don't live them because we're told to. We live them because we recognize their value. We recognize the light and truth that they offer us. And through that process of Using our agency to gain experience and then changing our hearts and who we are, we become more intelligent. Our intelligence progresses. And the glory of God is intelligence. What that's saying to me is that God is perfect. He is light and truth. And he is such because he has chosen to be such. There is agency in play. And God uses his agency Perfectly. That's what the example of Jesus Christ was showing us. He did nothing but what he saw the Father do. It's the perfect example of... He's not perfect because he's perfect. He's perfect because he chooses to be such. It's a choice. He's using his agency. And he's used the same tools of experience that's available to us to, to attain that perfection. Right? And of course... I don't think it hurts to keep repeating that that happens for us through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Right,
1: Agency is an eternal principle. The father has agency. Christ had agency, but what did he, he tell us he chooses, or he chose to do the will of the father was the will of the father for him to die, to suffer, to go through terrible things. No, that wasn't the will of the father. The will of the father was, I need the rest of my children to have an opportunity to receive perfection. That was the higher law, right? That was the higher desire. The more perfect desire was, I have other children who need to receive an opportunity to accept and receive He wants this us all
0: perfection. to be saved, but he couldn't coerce it or force it to happen. Exactly right. There had to be a way to offer it to us. And through Christ,
1: choosing to live that higher law, to do the will of the Father, a consequence of that was the suffering, the difficulties, the trials and tribulations he had to go through, right? So that agency is is eternal and will always be with us. And this is very uh, symbolic of how we need to start perceiving ourselves. We need to think about living higher laws. We do things because it is the will of the Father. And what is that will? To turn around and give the light and knowledge we've received, suffer for the will of the Father as Christ did, so that others can receive and obtain more. That is ultimately what Christ is teaching us is. He lived a higher law that, although not intended, required suffering, but it was for each of us. And in our lives, that's ultimately where we have to be willing to go. We will do the will of the Father and help others, serve others, and share the light of knowledge we have, even if it means we must walk a difficult path.
0: Well, we have to follow his path. I mean, He used Christ used very strong words in his direction to us. Right, He said, do each of us take up our own crosses and follow him.
1: Exactly so right.
0: Do what he did. Yep. Now, that is not asked of every one of us to literally take up a cross or offer up our life. Um, probably happens every now and then, right? Particularly, we see that with prophets throughout the ages. But the sentiment is, we have to be willing to do even that and if we're not willing to take some time out of our week to do some ministering right are we really are we really do we really have that disposition to make sacrifices that we think we have this this these are the these are the questions we should be asking right we should be analyzing where are we really where is our heart what sacrifices are we willing to be making
1: and this doesn't mean we should be self-loathing or focus on You know the terrible things we think we're doing or the um the weaknesses or the struggles that we have i'm not suggesting that we need to beat ourselves up the adversary will do that for us plenty you know we can leave that to him to do what i am suggesting though is we need to go ahead and hurry up and accept the fact that part of of the journey we are meant to take following christ part of christ's journey which we are asked to follow, is that there will be suffering. There will be trials and tribulations, but there's good reason for that. There is good that comes from that. And we have to start looking at those as the opportunities the Lord intends for them to be and not look at them with disdain or dread so that we do nothing. We become paralyzed because we fear the difficulty that we do absolutely nothing. That's exactly what the adversary desires for us to do. But if we want light and truth, if we want to receive greater intelligence and become more like the Father, we are required to walk that path that will ultimately be one of of travail and difficulty. There's no way around that, and we just had better hurry up and accept that and, and be okay with it, learn to live with it.
0: I testify that God is truth and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is the light of the fullness of truth that the Father has given to us. And we gain access to that light through mechanisms that he has provided to us. So there's there's the light of Christ, and there is the Holy Ghost. And the scriptures talk about these concepts a lot. And they use a lot of different phrases and a lot of different a lot of different terminology to talk about these these same concepts, so it can actually be a little confusing at times reading the scriptures to know what exactly is it it's referencing here. Because let, let's think about it we have we have the light of Christ, we have the Holy Ghost, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit of Christ, sometimes just the Spirit. So that we have all these terms that are are being thrown around and often used interchangeably.
1: So you're telling me 40 minutes into the podcast, we're finally getting to what we meant to talk about 40 minutes ago?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. What I'm telling you is, this is important. Okay. This is important. <laughs> we're getting to what is the light of Christ, starting with that, by the way. So it's all very similar, right? And if you just wanted to stay high level, you could say, it all serves for our good, and and our our growth and our eternal progression. And but there are two main concepts. There's the light of Christ and the Holy Ghost. And the main differ uh, the main difference is the Holy Ghost is a person. He's a, he's a personage of spirit. He's a member of the Godhead. So. When we're talking about the person of the Holy Ghost, regardless of the word that's being used, it's always the Holy Ghost. And then the light of Christ. Well, we have, uh, let's see, we have actually have a scripture here. Moroni 7 talks about this. Uh, verse 16. Behold, the spirit of Christ, again, using a different term, but the spirit of Christ or the light of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. Wherefore I show unto you the way to judge, for everything which inviteth to do good, and to persuade to believe in Christ, is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ, wherefore you may know with a perfect knowledge, it is of God. So the we know that the light of Christ, at very minimum, is given to every man. It's something that we have, something that has been given to us, And we know that the Holy Ghost is a member of the Godhead, is a personage of spirit. So regardless, when you're reading the scriptures and these terms are used interchangeably, we have to use the context a little bit to clearly understand which which concept, light of Christ, Holy Ghost, is, is being referenced. And that will help us to interpret the scriptures in a way that's a little more applicable in our daily lives.
1: The light of Christ is is something that is eternal something that we have always had and will always have when we're talking about what is the difference between the light of christ and the holy ghost although we don't have clear or or perfect doctrine on what is the holy Ghost's role after this life how how will our role interchange with his, whatever his role may be after this, this world is, is finally wrapped up and over. However, we do know the light of Christ is something that permeates all eternity, right? So there's clearly a difference between the light of Christ and the Holy ghost. One of which is the light of Christ has always existed and will continue to exist throughout eternity regardless of whatever the Holy Ghost role may be moving forward.
0: So, in Doctrine and Covenants 84, verse 46, teaches a very similar concept to what we just read in the Book of Mormon. And the Spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the Spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit. Again, Book of Mormon used the word Spirit of Christ. Dr. Covington is just saying the Spirit. We're talking about the light of Christ. And we have a Boyd K. Packer uh, quote here, The more we know about the light of Christ, the more we will understand about life, and the more we will have a deep love for all mankind. Light of Christ, the the Book of Mormon taught us that the light of Christ is what leads us to all that is good. The Doctrine and Covenants is teaching us that that light of Christ is with us when we come into the world. So, the light of Christ is truth, light and truth, that we already have that we have acquired, that we have learned and have understood through experience and through spiritual confirmation. It is light that we have acquired and has become part of us, has become part of our heart and part of our change of heart and who we are. And we all come into this world with a base, at least a base level of that truth and light. I would say a qualification of receiving our physical body, this keeping our first estate, is having that base acquisition of light and truth. We're able to live at least a celestial law to come into this telestial world and receive this body. Which means we have a basic concept of right and wrong. We know we shouldn't be killing people. We know we shouldn't go around stealing and taking what isn't ours. We know that when we are selfish... We can recognize that feeling, that that negative feeling we have when, when we're exhibiting behaviors and attributes that are not Christ-like.
1: And we learned through this quote from Elder Packer: "The more we know about the light of Christ, we will gain a deeper love for all mankind." Why? Because that that light of Christ, as you mentioned, was obtained by each individual in this world previously in in the in the premortal life which means if all light and truth is coming from the father the father was invested he was engaged he was giving each son and daughter truth light he was invested in them. he was helping them along their journey to acquire intelligence and the fact that they are here is a manifestation of their 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 worthiness or um his his love for them to to which they des- they deserve to continue to progress and receive more of that light and that truth that intelligence that he's willing to offer them right it is the manifestation to us their existence here as a son or a daughter of god that they are already worthy of continuing that journey towards intelligence and to perfection that inherently grows our love for them as we love the father and understand his purpose is better we must then look at our other brothers and sisters and see them more clearly as the father sees them and understand their worth their value and desperately seek and plead with them to see it themselves and to allow that intelligence to flow into their heart and to their mind and to change the natural man within them, right? That, I think that's ultimately what Elder Packer's going here, is that our perspective, as we understand the light of Christ, our perspective of man and woman on earth begins to align better and more closely with the Father's perspective. And we love, with a greater capacity, our fellow human beings on this earth.
0: And I I like that he says, the more we know about the light of Christ, the more we will understand about life. Which kind of means to me about the purpose of life, our meaning of life, our, our mission here on earth. So we know that the light of Christ is truth. It's his light and truth that we have acquired up to this point. And that means that, Our role is to acquire that light and truth, is to continue in that eternal progression. And that means that when we talk about the light of Christ, we're talking about that inherent base level of truth, right and wrong, that we bring with us when we're born into the earth. But it also includes all of the light and truth we continue accumulating through our experiences day to day. Everything we have, all the light and truth that we have received up to this point, that is part of our light Christ.
1: As we receive truth, new truth and understanding via the Holy Ghost, that increases the light and truth within us, right? That now has increased the light of Christ within us. We'll talk about this more as we talk about the Holy Ghost and his specific role and and, and the difference between between the light of christ and and the holy ghost but i think it's an important concept for people to understand is the light of christ within you expands it or at least that should be what it's doing it's not intended to remain where it is today the holy ghost and through the mechanisms at his disposal teaches and gives truth and deeper understanding new understanding. He reveals new truth to us. But as we then take that truth and make it part of who we are, that light, that truth gets added to and added upon the light and truth we had, which has increased the light of Christ within us, right? So we're not meant to stay with the light of Christ we currently have. We should be expanding that light of Christ, which is done through the Holy Ghost. We'll talk about that more.
0: So another way of thinking about this is... The light of Christ, the truths that we have received, is also part of our discernment. There's a quote by President Nelson. He said that personal revelation can be honed into discernment, spiritual discernment. And to me, that is saying that as we personally acquire light and truth, and that light and truth is no longer a borrowed light. Mm. It no longer is, is is coming from another person or from the savior, but it's something that we have received from the savior through personal revelation. Now that's ours. It is part of who we are and it, and it is in us, which means as we go through our mortal probation and we pass through all kinds of experiences and temptations and trials if we have that truth in us we can now readily at will discern good and evil at least in that thing in that truth we have acquired
1: as we as our intelligence grows and we use that discernment that is when we truly become agents to act and not to be acted upon right as as scripture says if you truly want liberty freedom, the ability to act, you must acquire greater and greater intelligence. That's exactly where the Lord is trying to get us to go, right? Is to where we don't have to always have the Holy Ghost giving us the direct path we must follow. We've obtained enough intelligence.
0: Well, once he's given it to us, it's ours. That's what I'm
1: saying. That's what I'm saying. It's ingrained within us. It's now part of who we are. It's that light and truth. It's that intelligence. It's the light of Christ within us now. And we can then exercise our own judgment and truly our agency now to make the righteous choice. Right. And that's, that's real agency, right? It's choosing to follow the father's plan to, to live a righteous lifestyle.
0: We have a few quotes here. We probably won't uh read them all, Let's just touch on them. But we have a few quotes here. Is it from the same talk from Elder Packer? Yeah, from Elder Packer, yeah. Uh, what's the what's the title of that talk? Uh The Light of Christ, I
1: believe, from 2004. 2004. He gave it to mission it is a is a, a talk that he gave to to mission presidents or outgoing uh mission presidents. So it's it's not a conference talk per se, but clearly on par with those mm-hmm. and uh, easy to find gospel library.
0: But he, he, mentions a few things about what the light of Christ does for us. And well, let's just read through some of these. The spirit of Christ can enlighten. So he says it can enlighten the inventor, the scientist, the painter, the sculptor, the composer, the performer, the architect, the author to produce great, even inspired things for the blessing and good of all mankind this spirit can prompt the farmer in his field and the fisherman on his boat it can inspire the teacher in the classroom the missionary in presenting his discussion it can inspire the student who listens and of enormous importance it can inspire husband and wife and father and mother so we're talking about the light of christ we're talking about truths that we receive We're talking about discernment, and we're talking about application of those truths. So, I think that we talk about coming into this world with with truth, and we often say, you know, the conscience and that right and wrong. But I think we also come into this uh, life with gifts. Mm -hmm. We have light and truth, certain experiences and gifts that we already had previous to being born and we bring those with us as well and while we don't have a memory of them that light of christ is in us and ready to be activated once we have sufficient experience for it to it to shine so i think that's why we see inherent gifts and different inherent gifts in different people right why can one person say uh say i'm going to learn to play the piano and they pick it up so fast, it becomes so good so fast, and someone else, it's a struggle. Well, there's some kind of light that they brought with them that through a little bit of practice, it immediately starts shining. It's readily available. And that's as true for spiritual strength as it is for all kinds of different capacities. So President Packer's talking about inventors and scientists and artists, um, we have light and truths and gifts that are in us inherently. And just through a little bit of experience, those things can just shine brightly once, once we hit upon them.
1: It, in in his, the next quote we have here, he, he kind of touches on the inverse of that is, it can warn, it can guard, it can guide, as we've been talking, but it can also be repulsed. It can be covered up, essentially. And so it's it's imperative that we live a lifestyle that does not cover or diminish those gifts that the light of Christ, um, that we have brought with us through the light of Christ, right? We have these gifts and so often we make choices that don't allow us to discover what those gifts are, right? And that's the, that's the saddest thing we see, for instance, in youth today who are, the very beginning of their mortal journey there's still so much for them to discover most importantly about themselves and when they choose to live an unrighteous lifestyle they're now repulsing or covering the light of Christ within them and those gifts that they have brought with them that they just haven't had time to discover yet they're not opening up. Well, and that's... They're not developing. that's
0: why laziness, slothfulness mm-hmm. is so sinful. Yeah. Because it completely in, inhibits your ability to let your light shine, to they're, discover those gifts and let that light shine. And each person has these gifts.
1: They must be discovered or uncovered, or right? Or unlocked. Unlocked, right. Depending on whether we just haven't taken the the time and put in the energy to discover what these gifts are or... Maybe we really have actively lived an unrighteous lifestyle. And so the light of Christ, we can't unlock those gifts that we brought with us. Either way, we must begin to put the energy and the effort towards uncovering those gifts. And so for the youth of the church today, it's imperative that they learn to make righteous choices now in the home. Parents must be leading their children in righteousness because there's so much for them to discover and unlock within themselves that they have brought with them and unrighteous living can cover that up this is the parable of the talents right some cover it up well what have we discovered here how do we cover those talents and don't increase them it's because we 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 live a sinful life we live a life opposite of the righteousness God desires for us, right? That's what the parable of the talents is teaching us. So we must teach our youth and all members, right? All, all all faithful Christians all need to receive this, but especially youth who have so much left to, to that's untapped within them.
0: I was reading Hugh Nibley and he often laments on how the education, the educational system has fallen because it, he he laments that education today is all about getting a job. Mm. It's about getting a career. It's about making money
1: instead of self discovery. Right. Yeah.
0: The original concept of the university was self discovery was pure educational pursuit, and across all subject matter. And and today you just don't you don't get that at all. You. you if you ask 90, maybe 99 out of 100 students, why are you here? Oh, to get a good job. Yeah.
1: I need to make a living or make money, which isn't a good byproduct.
0: Well, it's necessary. But we don't- There's nothing wrong with that. No, 100%. But it's just that that concept of, of as a society, we no longer value and pursue education, right? And I've been talking about schooling, per se- but just education in general, that that discovery of trying different things, learning different subjects, uh, kind of dipping your toe in several different pools of water, right? Seeing what you're interested in, seeing seeing where those talents might be found. That's very important.
1: I think it's imperative that people understand as well. I, focused, I, I I've purposely focused a lot on the youth because they need it. But even for those that are, are are older, maybe farther down the gospel path, the covenant path, there assuredly are gifts within you that have been covered or have have been untapped up to this point. Haven't been discovered. Yes, and they are waiting to be unlocked. And so we, we continue pressing onward to discover within ourselves what are those spiritual gifts? that I brought with me and and just have not taken the time or, or invested the energy yet to discover.
0: Well, here's the next quote from Elder Packer is that the Holy Ghost can work through the light of Christ. So why is it important for us to have that discovery, to discover those talents, to let that truth and light shine that is in us? Well, because once that truth that is in us is shining, well, the Holy Ghost can make use of it. Yeah. He and builds upon that. We can become instruments in the Lord's hand at that point. The next quote is from President Harold B. Lee. The, that light never entirely goes out.
1: Speaking of the light of Christ.
0: It never entirely goes out unless we commit the unpardonable sin. It glow, its glow may be so dim that we can hardly perceive it, but it is there for us to fan into a flame that shall burn brighter with understanding and with knowledge. Except for that, we wouldn't be able to achieve. Our missionary work would come to naught.
1: So this is basically what we talked about previously where you're not too far gone, you haven't fallen too far. That light of Christ within you may be very dim and hard to see, and and maybe it's afar off. But so long as it there are embers in any capacity, they can be resurrected, so to speak, into a flame to to grow.
0: The moment you have desire or real intent, mm. and then you turn to seek. <laughs> Uh, you turn in pursuit of truth. That those embers are there. I I think that's one of the great powers of the Book of Mormon and why it was revealed and it's such a powerful missionary tool, is that a lot of people, maybe through ignorance, but they've right their light is very dim, and then the Book of Mormon and that powerful promise that if you pray with real intent to know if it's true it will be manifested by the power of the holy ghost well that is a testament that that light of christ is there in everyone if they use their agency and choose to pursue it if they have that real intent to know if the book of mormon is true truths will be made manifest to them and that flame will 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 burn bright in their souls and they will receive that manifestation and know that it's true it all comes down to that desire
1: Yeah, the the real intent and when you're,
0: when you're at rock bottom it's hard to find that desire it takes time
1: that is a it is so difficult to explain or help somebody who's either struggling with their testimony or maybe an investigator who is, is meeting with the missionaries and, and likes a lot of what they're hearing, but, um, they don't quite have that, uh, that, that real desire, real understanding yet. And then the missionaries will make a promise like that, like pray about the book of Mormon. You can receive a personal witness of that. It is so difficult to describe and to put into words that Fanning of the embers to roar into a flame, right? And that's essentially what the Holy Ghost does at that moment with when you pray with real intent And you truly seeking an answer of of truth, right of of what God is willing to give when the Holy Ghost descends upon you And then witnesses to you that yes, this is true. Those small embers you may have had all of a sudden it's like pouring gas on the fire, right? All of a sudden there's this swell of a fire within you. There's a swell where these embers grow into a flame all of a sudden and you don't fully even understand how to comprehend or explain it. And it's so difficult to, to describe that feeling and that sensation to somebody who hasn't quite experienced that themselves. They have the light of Christ within them they have those embers burning still, but they've never had that Holy Ghost just descend upon them with power and fan those flames and, and really roar to life all of a sudden. And that's something that's difficult to describe, but also difficult to deny.
0: So that's a good transition to from the light of Christ to the Holy Ghost. We talked about the light of Christ being that truth that we have received and that is in us. Well, the Holy Ghost... His mission is to teach and 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 spread that light and truth to all of God's children. That is his mission. That is his role. And he testifies of the Son and of the Father. And he does everything in his power to bring all of God's children to the Son, that they can return home to the Father. So... Here's the question of the day. Who's the Holy Ghost?
1: We already established he's a personage (laughs) of spirit, although that does not mean he can be in everywhere all at once, right? And, And this is probably something else that differentiates our theology from other Christian theology. The Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit. However, it's still... Um, there's a definitive person. He has,
0: there. he has a spirit body. Yes. A Therefore spirit body. he is in
1: one place, one place at, a, at a, time. a time. Right. And so the question is, how then does he reveal truth to God's children all over the world? It cannot be one by one as he's able to get to them, right? There's a mechanism and a process to do such.
0: Well, we've established that God is truth and that truth is eternal and that fullness of truth is uh, resides in tabernacles or in temples, right? That God in His body is a has a perfection, a fullness of truth. Well, the Holy Ghost does as well. Mm. He has that same fullness of truth. So we know that angels also have a portion of that truth. They have received a portion of that truth and can also transmit uh that truth. To set some context of what of, of where we're going with this, I wanted to bring up doctrine and covenants one verse thirty eight. What I the Lord have spoken I have spoken and I excuse not myself, and though the heavens and earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled. Whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. So what we learn here is that God, he gives the law, he teaches the fullness of truth, and then he has servants that also go forth, teach that same truth, and fulfill his word.
1: It's easy to read that scripture in DNC and then just assume he's speaking of, you know, the, the prophet of the church or the apostles that are on the earth right now. But that has a broader application.
0: Well, that's very important because in all, right, all things spiritual and, and temporal, right, they mirror each other. So how is the word of God administered to the earth, right, today? Well, it's done through his church, It's done, first and foremost, through his prophet. It's done through priesthood keys. If there is new revelation for the world, it comes first to the prophet and the apostles.
1: The prophet who is the presiding priesthood holder over the earth.
0: President of the church. Yep. He presents the revelations, right? It's ratified by the quorum and the first presidency. And then how does it get... Shared and implemented throughout the world. Well, that's done through the organization of the church and yep. through the priesthood. Yep. We have 70s. We have stake presidents. We have bishops. We have elders quorum. Right Through the priesthood and through the organization of the church, through the ministry of angels on the earth, the word of God is, is, is available. And, and today, through the restoration of the gospel, it is available everywhere and then through technology it's even more readily available so we have a type we have a a symbol a model a model on earth now of how truth from god is communicated with the world and with us individually through those priesthood channels
1: we we see we understand that christ established his church through his mortal ministry. He established the method for doing just what we've been discussing, bringing truth and light unto as many people as possible in the mortal world in which we live. But then we know through modern revelation that when he died before his resurrection, he was doing the exact same thing in the spiritual realm as well. And I think that's where you're going next with this is he established the model initially through his mortal ministry but we know that that didn't end there it continued into the spiritual realm
0: well the question is who's the holy ghost (laughs) well what's the model god reveals his word through the prophet to the president of the church so the holy ghost if we put that into the spiritual the Holy Ghost is the presiding spirit, or the president of the church, the prophet of the church in the spirit world. He is God's mouthpiece in, in spirit. And we know he has a spirit body. He is confined physically to a degree, spatially. So then how does the Holy Ghost communicate God's word to all of God's children? Well, let's look at 2 Nephi 32. What do we see? Verse 3. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, they speak the words of Christ. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, the Holy Ghost speaks through the ministry of angels. The organization, a similar organization to what we see on earth, an organization of priesthood exists in the spirit world, and the Holy Ghost presides over that ministry.
1: Just as the prophet on earth today is able to delegate keys and responsibilities to others to help administer the affairs of the church, the Holy Ghost is able to do the exact same thing, right? He's responsible for, ultimately, all that is being done in the spiritual realm, which includes testifying of and witnessing to those of us here in the, in the mortal or physical realm. However, there's an organization and a structure with keys that are delegated, with angels, essentially, um, that are, are given authority to speak, on behalf of the Holy Ghost, right? Just as the apostles can speak for the prophet today, angels are qualified and and receive the authority to do the exact same thing, right? This is how the Holy Ghost performs his function many places all at once without he himself being spatially in many places all at once.
0: So the ministry of angels is is key in our communication with god and in in the role of the holy ghost in making the fullness of truth available to all of god's children and alma talks about this the book of alma Um, he talks about that after adam and eve fell angels were sent to preach to them right the inspired translation of, of, of genesis says the same thing, after, after many days an angel of the Lord appeared and, and preached unto Adam. Um, right In the temple, we learn the same thing, that after the fall, the Lord sends angels. And, and what do we see? We see a representation of a presidency. Right, Just as Christ, in his mortal ministry, had Peter, James, and John, uh, he left a presidency on earth to be that mouthpiece of truth to all the world, The Holy Ghost operates in the exact same way. And we need to
1: understand that the, the concept of observe and report is happening simultaneously on both sides of the veil, right? There are those with keys, responsibilities, stewardships on this side of the veil who are observing and reporting and. There are those on the other side of the veil who receive the same direction. Now they may be looking at things from a different perspective and their calling might be altered slightly from what those on this side of the veil are, are asked to do. However, the concept of observing and reporting just as we see and learn in the temple is happening all day, every day on both sides of the veil right now everything that we're doing is being observed reported on and ultimately written in our book of life so to speak that we will stand to account for one way or the other right and the question posed are are you remaining true and faithful that is something that we can can answer in the affirmative to those in which are observing and reporting right when we go before a a bishop bishopric member or a stake presidency member to do our temple recommend interview ultimately what they are doing is is observing reporting back they're signing their name saying yes this person so far as i can tell and discern is worthy to enter the house of the lord right and that is happening on the spiritual side of the veil just as often if not more frequently
0: and what's really special is we know that there are different types of angels, different degrees. We have telestial and terrestrial and celestial angels. They all have a place and a calling in that ministry and in their in their in and how they interact with us and how um, we can gain access to the Father through them. But what's really special is that we also have people in the spirit world who are our ancestors our family and through the priesthood and through the ordinances that seal us through the generations right that give allow priesthood stewardship through the sealing keys a lot of the times in fact i would say every time when available those ministering angels who are guiding us and helping us and are working on our behalf, they're our families. It's so, the patriarchal order.
1: And we weren't even planning on necessarily going here. But now that we've been going through this process and discussing it, it it's a natural outflow of what we've been talking about. Do we know perfectly how the, the spiritual realm is organized? Not exactly, or at least. Not that you and I are, are aware of. We we look at
0: how how the kingdom is organized.
1: Here well on that's Earth. that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, we compare it. The most direct form of stewardship in this life is family, right? And as we think about the sealing ordinance and that covenant and the the blessings of it and, and, and we think about what does it really mean? What what does this eternal family concept really mean? Far too often, we are thinking of eternal family as something that is to be obtained at some point in the future. We've talked about this concept before of always thinking that every, every promise blessing is meant for the future. The sealing covenant and that promise is also meant to be received right now. We have, and, and hopefully as we're doing temple work, we have others on the other side of the veil who are sealed to us they have that direct stewardship over us the blessings and the promises of the sealing covenant are meant to be received at least in part now while we're living on this earth to allow those on the other side of the veil it connects us. it connects us it, it is what thins the veil the spirit of elijah returning to or, or returning to the earth the keys Of the sealing power is ultimately in my opinion what truly kicked off the veil beginning to burst the thinning of the veil in this life because it is what connects right now our ancestors on the other side of the veil with those of us living here on the earth and they have the most direct route of stewardship to minister to you to provide truth to you they, they have the keys and ordained by the Holy Ghost to speak truth to you.
0: And they're the most invested yes. yep. in your spiritual salvation and your success. Why? Because they love you. Yep, They're your family and they have an interest in your salvation. So if you have not done
1: family history work, <laughs> start doing it because those blessings of the sealing covenant can begin to be received and realized right now. Today, while you're on this earth, an eternal family is not something you receive at some point in the future. It is something to be exercised in your life right now that can bless you and your mortal family here on earth right now.
0: I'll give a funny example. It'll sound funny, but if you need, if you need counsel, if you need advice, who are you going to go to? Well, you it's likely that you're not going to have access to go to the prophet. Right? You probably don't live where he lives. You, even if you did, you, how are you going to get access to have it? A, have a, how are you going to get through his security
1: detail? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So, okay, well, the prophet's not readily available. Oh, well, who are you going to go to? Well, first, the first choice is going to be family. You're going to go to your you're going to go to your parents. You're going to go to your grandparents. You're going to go to someone who is close to you, who is in your family, who can give you that advice. Now, your patriarch, your father, the advice that he gives you, you know, we're speaking on on in spiritual terms. Well, where is where is the advice he's going to give you? Where does that come from? It's going to come from the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. If you're if your father, if your patriarch is worthy and, and and has exercised his gifts of personal revelation and has, has the light of Christ in him, he's going to give you the words that the prophet would have given you. If you don't have a worthy patriarch, where would you go? Well, you would go to your ministering brothers or sisters, or you would go to the bishop. You would go to your ward family. You would go to those people who are closest to you who are worthy and who you trust to give you that advice. So on the other side of the veil, why would it be any other way? Why would not the the ministering angels, those who are, are representing God and the Holy Ghost and are representing the pieces of that fullness of truth that they have, why would they not be those who are closest to us ministering to us and helping us through the veil.
1: We know that a, a, a patriarch, a, a righteous father and a righteous mother in this life has keys and stewardship to their children that no one can replace. The church cannot replace those keys.
0: Well, Elder Oaks, President Oaks, has actually made it explicitly clear The First Presidency does not have the power to exercise priesthood keys in the home. Yes. Those keys belong to the patriarch.
1: That's correct.
0: That's a very powerful piece of doctrine that
1: I'm sure that's going to... We'll expound upon it at some point in the future. But the point is well made that in your home, in your family structure, the church or the brethren do not have keys over your family Whereas the patriarch does that doesn't go away or dissolve. That is an eternal key, an eternal stewardship that is given to you that post mortal existence you maintain mm-hmm. and, and through the sealing covenant can continue to exercise. And that's ultimately what we're saying is that's, that is available. That link is available now and eternal families is a concept we should be exercising today
0: right because all of your ancestors are your patriarch exactly right Yep. and if they had those keys on earth they will continue with those keys through the veil
1: so do your family history work.
0: <laughs> we've got a few more quotes here about the holy ghost um, once a person has received the gift of the holy ghost and can cultivate it together with the light of Christ, which they already have, then the fullness of the gospel is open to their understanding. So the light of Christ that we already have, there's an amount of truth that we've already accumulated, together with the gift of the Holy Ghost, or personal revelation being instructed through the veil, leads us to the fullness of the gospel. I always go back to section 109 of the Doctrine of Covenants where it talks about that through the temple we can receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost. We can receive of that fullness of truth that God has available to us and that is available through the ministry of angels but it's available to us through living our covenants and being worthy to exercise that authority and request, right? Ask, seek, knock, and receive more from God through the veil.
1: So we've discussed that the light of Christ initially within us is the intelligence we obtained before this life. We brought it with us into this life, so we have a baseline, line of Christ, light of Christ, that we start with. And then the Holy Ghost, through proper priesthood authority, through the restoration of the keys of the priesthood, the gift of the Holy Ghost now allows for further light and knowledge, further truth to be given to us, which expands the light of Christ within us as it, it expands our intelligence. And this is how we begin to move towards the father. We just watched a video by elder Bednar. Maybe we should embed it in here because it because it's such a good, powerful video where he essentially is, 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 is expressing, I, I think it's probably a young single adult or some sort of single adult conference he was part of, he, he was expressing these individuals that you cannot borrow light if you only know and understand what someone has told you it's not enough if you only know and understand what you have read it's not enough only through taking the light of christ within you the intelligence that you have and then adding upon that Through the Holy Ghost and the, the, the ordained calling that the Holy Ghost and his ministering angels have to reveal truth to you, only coupling those two things together, can you then begin to receive all that the Father has? That's a long journey, but too many of us are either relying on the intelligence we already have and are not exercising the revelation we know is available or we haven't taken the time or the energy to understand how revelation is received to where we can add upon the intelligence, the light of Christ within us. And we have to have both. We have to take what we already understand, the intelligence that the light of Christ has brought to us. We have to add to it with the Holy Ghost and its ordained calling so that through those We receive further light and knowledge, which is exactly what the temple is trying to teach us, right? You've got to continue to receive that personal revelation. The plea of a living prophet of God is, learn to receive personal revelation in your life.
0: I testify of the truthfulness of personal revelation. I have gone to the Father in prayer and I have experimented on these concepts, and I have personally received, time and time again, personal revelation. Sometimes that's confirmation of truth, sometimes that's enlightenment in ideas, sometimes that's commandments of things that I should do in my daily life, commandments that are just for me. It comes in a myriad of ways, but I testify that personal revelation is real, and that the Holy Ghost and the ministry of angels is real, and we have access to the source of the fullness of truths. I have felt that in my life and I testify that it is true. The last thing I'd like to speak on is, we've talked about the light of Christ. We've talked about the Holy Ghost. When we started this episode, we talked about the value of understanding the doctrine so that we can apply it in our lives and i'd like to speak a little bit about how does how can we use this knowledge of the light of christ and the holy ghost in our daily lives how can that how can that bring immediate benefit to us and i've i've got some concepts here that i believe i got from a john pontius book um but it, it's, a, it's, it's a way of explaining how the light of Christ and the Holy Ghost operates within us in a way that is, was very insightful to me. And I think about it all the time. And it's something that br- has brought me awareness when I'm in situations of, of trial or of temptation or um, when I'm trying to seek discernment about something or, or revelation. It has brought me a lot of insight and his what he um uh, his explanation is that we've all got voices in our head. <laughs> it's sad but
1: true. There's no denying it.
0: We're all a little bit crazy. Yeah. No.
1: Also true.
0: <laughs> but um but there are there are there are multiple voices enticing us at all times. The Book of Mormon teaches this. And the trick is to be able to discern or recognize who those voices are, where they are coming from. So the first voice that's in our head is our own personal voice. That's the that's the I voice. That's the me, me, me voice. Anytime you're pondering or wondering, saying, I wonder if, should I... That's you. You can easily recognize that voice because it doesn't know a lot. <laughs> it's always it's always thinking and trying to work things out. It's always trying to figure stuff out, right? It's insecure. And it's important first to recognize that that is your voice because that voice is influenced by the light of Christ, the truth that you already have, and that is your own personal discernment. So you can when you are when you're pondering and you're you're have that insecurity, that you can rely on discernment that you already have and and that can and that that guides us in 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 how we think about things. So we always have our own voice going on, and it's very important to recognize that's the I voice, that's the active voice that you have. Um, there's a, there's a verse in James one fourteen. uh, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed alternate translation of lust is motivations. So every man is tempted and drawn away by his own motivations. Okay. So that, that shows that our own voice, our own motivations, right? can can direct us to a degree, good and bad, right There's that natural man and there's the truth and light that we've we've accumulated. So we have our own voice. The second voice in our head that's enticing us is the voice of the devil or the tempting spirits the necessary opposition. the opposition. yep. Well, how do we recognize those voices? Well Obviously, they speak to us things that are contrary to the word of Christ. And what's interesting about them is they will not shut up.
1: <laughs> They're persistent, if they, nothing else.
0: And there's lots of them. So the example he gives is, let's say the I, your personal voice, you say to yourself, oh, should I go get my family together for for family prayer. Okay, so that's your voice. It's it's a it's it's a thought it's a pondering that that you have. Well, the tempting spirits, that voice, they're going to begin to give you every reason in the world of why you should not do that. Oh, it's too late.
1: And it's immediate.
0: It's immediate. Yeah. It's too late. The kids are already in bed. Oh, I got to get up early tomorrow. They won't they won't shut up. There's there's lots of them, they have experience in this, and they will give you every reason not to do that thing which is which is good. good. Yep. And this is it, it. The importance of this is that once you know this, it's very easy to recognize when it's happening.
1: And to discern it,
0: it's very easy to discern that when you're having those those many reasons over and over again, why you should not do that thing that is good. You are being enticed. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's important to note as well that the greater the light of Christ within us, the closer we are to the Holy ghost and we've cultivated righteous living, this temptation and opposition that these voices provide to us, they will take what they can get the closer we are to the father their opposing voice will be maybe something that's not a big deal maybe very subtle something that's very easy to dismiss and say yeah that's uh, i'm still going to do what i know i need to be doing right it's it's a lot easier to dismiss those voices right when we're not living righteously
0: well the temple tells us teaches us that as we live our covenants mm-hmm. they lose their they lose their their power,
1: power over us right and that's exactly we've become fortified the armor of god is being applied to us so that they'll still their their role is eternal. They're still going to tempt where they can. Whatever chink is in our armor, right? They're going to tempt where they can. And the greater the, the the greater the light we have, the stronger the truth is within us, the less, you know, impactful that temptation, that opposition might be. It's still there and we should still ignore it. However, as we become lazy, become apathetic, as we move away from that, that greater light, those opposing voices become more and more deceitful, more crafty. They get a lot. Uh, it's, it's a lot more difficult to discern what is, what is the right choice.
0: And as our light dims, we question it less.
1: Yes, correct. We, we give in and follow those opposing voices much more frequently.
0: But that was that was a very profound way of putting it. That those those tempting voices, they won't shut up. Right? Yep. They they will give you every reason in the world not to do that thing that is good, or to do that thing which is not good. Yep. And I have really once I once it was presented to me in that way, it's so incredibly easy to discern it. You see it happening in real time, like you can witness it and realize what's going on. And right, the the Book of Mormon says that it's essential. The fall was essential. Opposition is essential because man must be enticed both ways, and therefore we have agency. That's how the plan works. So on one side we have these tempting voices, and then on the other side we have the voice of the Holy Ghost. This voice is the still small voice, and it is not going to coerce you into doing anything. But it will tell you what you should do. The Holy Ghost will tell you all things that you should do. That's the promise. So, in that scenario where the question was, oh, should I get my family together for family prayers, the Holy Ghost is going to confirm that you should. That voice will say, you should get your family for family prayers. Or often that voice, often this conversation may have started with that voice to begin with, with a prompting of the Holy Ghost saying, call your family for family prayers. Right? That It'll start with that feeling, that voice coming to you. And it's generally going to happen once. Right? The Holy Ghost is not going to keep trying to convince you to do what is good. It will give you what you should do and it will let you, it will respect your agency. It will not try to coerce you or convince you. It will respect you as an individual, as a child of God with agency. It will tell you what you should do and it will give you your space to act. And every time that you follow that voice and that prompting, you're blessed.
1: We have examples that oftentimes we'll hear in in the church Or just within Christianity, where a mother or or a father, in particular a mother, would be laying in bed and all of a sudden they receive out of nowhere a very clear, distinct prompting. One of their children is is in trouble and and they just know it instinctively. They don't know why, right? That's a very dramatic um, example of how the Holy Ghost you would know something is coming from the Holy Ghost because it's clearly not internal. It is something that is outside of you and that, that you're receiving and, and probably doesn't make sense initially. But then there's, there's ones that are a lot more subtle. How many times are you at church and all of a sudden you see somebody that you've never really talked to, you don't really know, but you feel within you, I need to go talk to or, or introduce myself to that person or I need to tell that person Something as simple as, hey, your testimony today really touched me. It really meant a lot to me. Something like that that is outside of yourself. It's very subtle, may not seem like a big deal, and is usually pretty easy to pass off and, and to ignore if you want to. Those are those can be just as impactful and important, if not for you, for the person that the Holy Ghost is trying to touch as well and trying to minister to as well and and those promptings are the ones that i think are usually received more often but they're a lot easier to dismiss as well when it's the other people around that the holy ghost is seeking to have us minister to and we just say i'll talk to that person next time or i'll mention something to that person later and you don't realize the chain of events that 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 the holy ghost may be trying to set in motion that you're um, that you're d- denying or stopping before they've had a chance to really come to fruition.
0: And I've learned that the promptings of the Holy Ghost, 99 times out of a hundred, maybe maybe much more, they're going to be small and simple things. It's going to be go talk to that person, give this person a call. go visit this person bear your testimony about this thing. They're going to be small and simple things that you still need to do. You wouldn't have done them otherwise on your own because it may it's maybe that person is just off the beaten path. You you wouldn't be by there ever on your own. Whatever case may be. The Holy Ghost will prompt us to do small and simple things and through them miracles happen there are so many plans in motion for each one of God's children the the holy ghost can direct you through small and simple promptings to interact and be there at the right time or to say the right thing that can make a difference mm. right? that's true ministering is having that prompting I, Knowing better the people around you, being aware of your situation, and then being able to understand, to hear, and receive those simple little promptings that are generally pretty easy things that you can do. They might not seem like some great big revelation from the heavens, but it will produce miracles, if not for you, for the person you're prompted to to serve
1: the interesting thing is for, for you and I, and obviously we're, we're close enough that, that we talk about these things, but we've gotten into a habit of when we receive these, these revelations, these inspirations from the Holy ghost, we start to write them down and we'll act on them. And we will not have any clue or any immediate, you know cause and effect we have no idea what that thing we did or or, or the, the follow up we performed mm-hmm. on that prompting did but we write them down mm-hmm. and we're able to go back three
0: months well, I six write, months later I write down that I received it and then I write down that I acted on it yes and then you don't recognize until months later that
1: something you acted upon ended up having an extremely profound effect on somebody's life or on your own life, you know, you do something today, nothing seems to come of it. Having that you, record
0: makes it very clear when miracles happen.
1: Yes. You, could, you can witness it. Yes, you can witness miracles in your life. Write it down when you receive an impression, when you act on it, write down what you did. And sometimes you will immediately see the fruits of responding to that that prompting from the Holy Ghost but many times not. However, you have it written down. A lot of times I like to just look back and say, you know, what did I receive? What did I do? And all of a sudden you'll reread it and you realize I had no idea that was going to have such an impact, but now I see why the spirit was leading me to do that thing, you know? And so it's, it's imperative that we outwardly demonstrate to the Lord that we are actively listening to the Holy Ghost, and that we are following up on and acting on those inspirations that were that were given.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode. Yeah, I think this was about twice as long as we expected it Definitely. to be. Always is. Yeah, it always <laughs> seems <laughs> to be the case. But I'm very grateful to be able to have shared some of these concepts and thoughts. They are They are ideas that have had a great influence on me personally, understanding the light of Christ, the Holy Ghost, and the ministry of angels, and understanding how to discern them more easily in my daily life. It has had great impact on me personally, and has been a great blessing to me. And I'm grateful for the personal revelation that I have received on these subjects, and I hope that we have been able to speak at least a little bit with a spirit of prophecy that the Holy Ghost may touch the minds of whoever hears these words, that you may receive inspiration and be taught directly by the Holy Ghost and learn exactly what you need to learn right now for your life. And that is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen amen
1: and I might just finish with to all of God's children as we discussed the light of Christ is within you wherever you are wherever you find yourself whatever desperate situation you may or may not be in the light of Christ is still within you and we've just got to give it a little room and a little space And feed that light with whatever we have to give so that it can grow and burn within us until the brightest day where we become and and reflect the attributes of Christ within ourselves. The Lord is pleading with each of us as His children to give Him just a little bit of breathing room so that that light that is within us is not covered. That it's not that it's not you know doused and 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 that we don't put water on it and try to to extinguish it altogether. Give the Lord a little bit of room. Give him a little bit of dedicated space in your life and allow him to work miracles and to truly transform you not just into a new person, but into the person that he has already already, ordained for you to become, we've just got to give them a chance to do it. So don't give up, continue pressing forward in faith and, and give the Lord a little more room today than you gave him yesterday. And you'll start to see those miracles happen in your life.